So it is Sunday morning. It is June 10th, 2018. And our message this morning is creation. Revelation. Redemption. What an exciting thing. When we say creation, revelation, and redemption, these are three special words. In the Jewish life cycle, it revolves around these three key themes. As we explore them today, you need to know something. Rabbinical Judaism surveyed the Tanakh. They surveyed the 39 books of the Old Testament. And in their estimation, these were the three largest themes that existed in the Word of God. In fact, if you just Google those three words together, I want to show you what comes up. <coughs> themes and theology of Jewish prayer. Uh, uh, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Uh, Rosenwig's Jewish Virtual Library. My point is that on this subject, Judaism, which has had these books longer than anyone else in the world, has determined that creation, revelation, and redemption are the three major themes of the Older Testament. Amen. With that in mind, our mission today is not just to survey Jewish liturgy, but to see how in the Jewish scriptures this plays out in the living, God-breathed text. In the kingdom ruled by a Jewish king and among Gentile believers that have appropriately aligned themselves with the destiny of the Jewish people and sought refuge in the king of Israel. This is our subject matter today. If Hebraic studies is something you don't get, just think of this as a powerful lesson from your older brother and you'll be doing just fine. (laughs) Amen. Can you feel him there? Anybody ever had an older brother that you were glad made a few mistakes before you did? Any have an older brother you were disappointed he never seemed to make mistakes? In Israel, we have an older brother that's made a few mistakes, but they get an awful lot that is right. And we can learn from that. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah once voiced the frustration that we want to address in here today. It comes from Isaiah 49 and beginning in verse 4. But I have said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. See, this is really where much of the church is today. Laboring, but not for any particular purpose. Spending their strength on things that could be defined as vanity. Having a vague hope that God has something more for them, or it's in the Lord's hand, but not having any idea how to obtain it. What I mean is that people know that we're a new creation, but they don't know what they're supposed to do other than just be saved. Do you know what I mean? Along the same line of thought, they know that they can receive revelation, something that is revealed by God, that is insight. But that becomes the end in and of itself, that teaching, learning becomes an end. What was intended by revelation was that it would produce something in us. They know that they're redeemed, but don't understand their primary, precious, and powerful purpose in the grand scheme of God. We are created for a purpose. We receive revelation for a purpose. And you were redeemed for a purpose. None of these things are the end in and of themselves. They were all to further something in particular. When we speak about that, we need to not reduce 
saints into sitters and soakers. That's not your job. When the holy are reduced to sit and be happy, when the serious are expected to be spiritually sterile, when the purposeful are to be ever pondering but never performing, the body of Christ suffers. What's more than that is you suffer. You have a bigger contribution to this world than just occupying the chair. You got to love the one association and how the same message is being preached throughout the United States and outside of the United States when people all are serving the same king and we're all wrestling with the same struggles. I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis that we got from King's Harvest. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and yet demand the function. We make men without chest and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Yeah, I could see the shock on the elder's face when Judah said that. But we, we need to understand that all of these things do happen when we are robbed of godly purpose in our life. When our purpose becomes to sit and to learn, and learning in and of itself is the goal. When our purpose becomes to be saved and salvation alone is the goal. When our purpose is to receive revelation and having received it, we've met the goal. It is like castrating the cold. That's exactly what it is. You are called for a purpose. Say that with me. Say, I am called for a purpose. I am called for a purpose. You receive revelation for a purpose. You are redeemed for a purpose. It was that purpose that we want to encourage you with here today. It starts in the very creation story. And we're going to give you a take on it that I promise that you've not heard. Yeah. Is that a big promise? Yes. How many times have you read the creation story? <laughs> and if I can assure you that you've not heard what we're about to say, how big of a revelation did we receive? Amen. We're going to begin with the creation story in Genesis 2-3. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Did you catch that? In the 1984 NIV, we're talking about the Sabbath. Six days and then a seventh in which a man rests. But because the 1984 NIV is a dynamic translation, something is happening here. There is a truth that is underlying this text that doesn't come clear to us. Because the thought has been explained. There's something literal behind it. For that reason, we want Judah to read it from a different translation. We're going to read it from a literal translation. And no, it's not the KJV. It's Young's literal translation. And God blesseth the seventh day and sanctifieth it. For in it he hath ceased from all his work which God had prepared for making. Do you hear that slight difference? It's right at the end, which God had prepared for making. He rested from all of his work, which he had prepared for making. I'm going to read it in the New American Standard with the textual note included. Points for all of you guys who've been teasing me about my NIV. <laughs> then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created to make. Is that something that's familiar to you? 
If you didn't get it before, maybe you heard it that time. He rested from all his work, which God created to make. See, that doesn't make a lot of sense in English, which is why our dynamic translations have tried to tell you what they think it means. Judah loves Chabad.org. There's a translation on Chabad.org by Rabbi A.J. Rosenberg, and it is a literal word-for-word -word rendering, which is not always the best way to translate something, but in this case, it's instructive. Do we have slide two? <coughs> I want you to see it as it appears on Chabad.org. On the right, you see Hebrew written from right to left. And God blessed the seventh day, and he hallowed it. For thereon he abstained from all his work that God created to do. So that you begin to get this, that created to do, to, to do or to make in Hebrew is asa. To, to say to do is la asot. These words are in the Hebrew text, but often not in our English translation. God didn't just rest. He rested after he created something that he made to do. Yeah. For emphasis, I want to say them together. Which God prepared for making. Which God had created to make. That God created to do. Now this begs a question. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not here to argue linguistics with you today. But what had God just finished creating? The seventh day obviously follows the sixth day. What or rather who was made on the sixth day that was to do, to make, or for making? Amen. Let's pick up in Genesis 1.26 with each other and begin to look at the reason for which man was made. His purpose. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image. Somebody say in our image. Our image. In our likeness. And let them rule. Somebody say let them rule. Let, let them rule. Wow, mankind is to participate in the rulership of God. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Somebody say, be fruitful. Be fruitful. Now, I can honestly say that's something this church has down. We're doing more baby dedications now per capita, I think, than any church in the world. That's probably not true, but it feels true. Let's just chalk that one up to evangelistic speech, right? I may be stretching it a little. But there are babies everywhere in here. God created man to do something. Mm -hmm. He made him for a purpose. Look at the rest of this. And increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Somebody say subdue it. Subdue it. You remember that word in Hebrew? It's kabash. We're supposed to put the kabash on it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Mankind was made in the image of God for the express purpose of extending God's rule in subduing the creation. God rested after he made man and gave man that task. He made man for that task. We have a divine purpose to rule in the image of God, to subdue the enemies of God, 
our purpose is to be so fruitful. Somebody say so fruitful. So fruitful. That we fill all the earth with the very rule or the kingdom of God. Amen. That purpose has a result. The first time God calls anything holy in all of the Bible is in the verse we've been contemplating. Let's put it up on the screen again in the literal Hebrew. I want to make sure you heard what my youngest son just said. The first time in all of the Bible that God calls anything holy is when he finished making man and he rests. Here is that verse. And God blessed the seventh day and he hallowed it. That means to make it holy. For thereon he abstained from all his work that God created to do. There's an extraordinary promise in this if you let it sit on you for just a second. It, it, it's really incredible. For six days you do your work. You work at it. You work at it. You might be a roofer. You might be a plumber. You might be an engineer or an accountant. But for six days you are working and then one day you stop from your work. But there is a message in this. God rested when he had a partner. God rested when he had somebody else who would continue work. And it's even better than that. It comes with an incredible promise. What you can't accomplish in six days, on the seventh day, God says, I will make it holy. Yeah. The purpose that God gave you in your life, he will make it holy. See, this was repeated weekly. It was repeated monthly. It was repeated in weeks of years. God said, I will make it holy. Amen. We have to consider the placement of this. This is in just the beginning, the creation story. We don't know who Abraham is yet. We don't know who Noah is yet. None of the Bible figures that we've grown up reading about or hearing about in church have taken place. And yet... Some very basic, essential truth that is about the character and the heart of our God is being displayed here. See, we have barely gotten into this story, and there are a few things that he wants us to know. You see, saints, on the sixth day, God created man, and he created him to do something, to rule in his image, to multiply and fill the earth. It's as if God is looking at his new partner, prepared for making, created to make, and created to do, and said that it will be holy. He had a purpose in mind from us, for us from the moment that he created us. Consider how special that is. Sometimes people have difficulty seeing grace in the Older Testament. You mean to tell me that you could go out and search for manna every day for six days, and on the one day that you didn't go out to search for it, you would have had twice as much the day before to carry you through? God has always been teaching grace. You aim at it. You work at it. But it is me who will make it holy for you. Amen. On the day that you come to the conclusion that you can't, while you're working as hard as you can, but you can't get there, he makes it holy. Amen. He created man in a partnership between heaven and, on, and earth. He took a substance from the earth, dust or dirt, and he breathed into it the substance of heaven. And there was a union. Somebody created on earth to do something. Yeah. You were created for a purpose. Say that with me. I was created for a purpose. Now this is especially true of one nation on earth. It's true of all mankind, 
But there is one nation that everybody knows was created for a purpose. That is Israel. Their frustration has been expressed in the scripture because they weren't reaching their purpose. Look at Isaiah 49 and you see them stating their purpose. This is right before the passage we read earlier. 49.1 Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Doesn't that sound like predestination to you? If you've ever wanted to know who was predestined, throw away what John Calvin wrote. He, he was wrong. What is predestined is the one nation on earth that God called into existence. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my birth. By the way, I am a one-point Calvinist. Man is totally depraved. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Say, yeah. display my splendor. Display my splendor. That sounds like a high purpose, doesn't it? Yeah, it's good. You were created like Israel to display the splendor or rule of God on the earth. Isaiah was frustrated because it didn't seem to be happening. Come on, we can relate to that. You have a task and you're frustrated because you keep trying and you can't seem to get it done. Isaiah had this too. The average believer in his day was acting like they weren't created for a purpose. Isaiah 26 verses 17 through 19 display this. As a woman with child and about to give birth rise and cries out in her pain. So we were in your presence, O Lord. We were with child, we writhed in pain, but we gave birth to win. We have not brought salvation into the earth. We have not given birth to the people of the world. The call that Israel had, he felt like, was not happening. It's the frustration of having a purpose and not feeling like it's getting done. Uh, it's a good thing there's nobody out here that's ever experienced frustration. Huh? God's promise delayed in coming. Your failure, your scare has caused the delay. Is that not an insecurity that you have rolling around in you? Yeah. Anytime something's not going right, I start going through the laundry list. You know, is it something I did? Is it something my wife did? By the way, that's, that's my wife right there. If you're a guest in this church, I want you to know that the one on the front row there, she's mine. Man, I, I love Jennifer. She's the blonde on the front row that's turning red right now. And she's a grandma. I've been saying that in every church. She's a grandma. She, she has got three grandchildren now. That makes her a sexy grandma. Wow. Did you want to say something, huh? No? You're good? Oh, I just wanted to make sure. It hurts to, to try and to fail. I mean, it, it does. And um, when that happens, you can become discouraged. You can think that there is no way to achieve your purpose purpose that no effort will bring it about yeah but the very next verse where Gabe stopped in Isaiah 26 verse 19 says something that you have to know our whole faith rests on it here today but your dead will live now whose dead is this that we're speaking of it is Israel's but we're learning from our older brother today but your dead will live 
Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. You know, that was prophesied by Abimbola today during the worship service. He did it from Ezekiel 37, somewhere around verse 23. He was prophesying about the day in which Israel, who was decimated, would come back to life. What does that tell you, Gentile believer, that God is able to do with your purpose? The reason for which you were created, it's never dead. It's never gone because God is resurrecting purpose in your life today. Prior to the resurrection of the dead, Jesus said Israel would again be in the pains of birth. You can read about that in Matthew 24. These will be the beginnings of birth pains. But the point is really not that we're going to go through eschatology. It's that failure is not fatal. Amen. It's that stumbling is never beyond recovery. Israel still has a purpose they were created for. Maybe more pertinently to you today, you still have a purpose you were created for. Israel will achieve her purpose. Look at me. You will achieve your purpose. God is able to help you achieve your purpose. It's not dead. It's not over. It's not even tainted. He makes all things new. Come on, church. Say it with me. The dead will rise. The dead will rise. The dead will rise. When the resurrection of the dead takes place, we're going to see the kingdom of God realized on earth. Here, now. It's going to affect every area of life. The men and women that are on your left and right. We are going to rise together with Israel and with their promised son and see the kingdom of God on this war-torn earth made right. Like the promise to make the Sabbath holy, Israel will be holy and you also will be holy. This is a promise and purpose we're talking about. In Ezekiel 36, 23, he says, I will show the holiness of my great name. Somebody say, my great name. My great name. Which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord. When I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Somebody say, through you. Seeing even after failure or profaning the name. There is still hope. Come on now. Say still hope. Still hope. Let that settle in on you before this young man finishes. Have you ever been in the situation where you feel like you have so ruined your witness you don't want to go back to work? Yes. You ever said something to your wife that you know her daddy, the king of the creation, is going to whip you for? Now some of you just lied. Tell the truth. How many of you are married? Okay, we're just going to take that for the answer. I've been married long enough to know. When you love somebody, sometimes passion gets the best of you and you say things you shouldn't. The point is... We've been in situations where we didn't represent God's name well, but there's still hope. It does not nullify your purpose. The purpose Israel had was that the nations would see God holy through them. God is still able to cause me to fulfill my purpose. He is still able to cause you to fulfill your purpose. You will fulfill your purpose. It is a promise that was given to Israel and has been extended to us. Amen. Now, as we walk in our purpose... How is this going to be done? It's going to be done by us being ever more dependent upon our Lord and God. For only His blessing can cause us to succeed. Only His will can cause this to come about. 
Consider Psalm 67. We're going to read the first and second verse. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us that Your ways may be known on earth, Your salvation among all nations. Say all nations. All nations. Why do you want to be blessed? Why do you want His face to shine upon you? So you can fulfill your purpose, which has to do with making His name known among the nations. See, it's Him who brings about your purpose. It's His blessing on your life. It's His Sabbath blessing on your life. You know when you can really rest, just to be honest? When you know that your best efforts didn't get it done, but God's effort is getting it done. That's when you, when you realize that He's king of the world and He's doing a better job of running it than you are. You get a chance to really rest when you have aimed at perfection, fallen short, and He looks at you and says, I will perfect you, my son. Then striving is over. There's only a love affair after that. You're just trying to please Him. Jesus is the first human to truly walk in the mandate given to humankind. But he clearly tells us that we have a common purpose with him. You can read about that in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 16. It goes like this. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Do you hear that? Whose light? Whose light? You know, when we were... When I was lost, I shouldn't say we, you guys were born saved. You came out of the uterus, uh, born again. Not so much with me. I really come from pretty filthy stock. It's a good thing I got grafted into something that's beautiful. We used to make fun of Christians who sang that song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's because so few Christians actually let anything shine in their life. When we make salvation the end and of itself, then you have no purpose beyond that. You're just happy to be saved, and saved is all there is. When you believe that you have a light to shine, this takes on a whole other dimension. God made you his partner. In fact, he rested in that partnership. He created you to do something, and he said, I will make what you're doing holy. I will make it holy. And he repetitively practiced it with the nation And and not just the nation, all mankind. This is before even the nation was founded. Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What you do on earth is supposed to result in the praise of our Father who is in heaven. I think you guys should know something. Moses understood this, and he will lead the heavens in a chorus about it. Revelation chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, or bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. And your righteous acts have been revealed. That's good enough to read one more time. Great and marvelous are your deeds. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways. King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? Do you want to bring him glory today? Yes! 
For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. The primary way that we're going to bring him glory is the way that we display God's righteousness in the nations coming to him through our deeds of faith that are inspired by him, by his son, and by his way of life. None are truly holy in their own right. But He can make us holy today. Yes. He created you to do holy things and spread His holy kingdom. Yes. Say, we're going to advance it. We're going to advance it together. Let's reclaim our purpose today. Who in this room do you need to reclaim your purpose in your workplace, in your houses? We are going to advance a holy kingdom by displaying the deeds of Christ. He will make it holy in us. Amen. Do you remember that literal translation of Genesis 2 3? Said he rested from all of the things that he created to do or he made to make. Consider that with this passage in Ephesians 2 10. See, you are the creation of God, and you have been recreated in his son, the Messiah. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Amen. See, from the beginning, from the very beginning, the crescendo of the creation was when man arrived. On the sixth day, you have to picture this. Let's pretend for a moment that that sixth day is Friday. As it grew late in the day, we arrived at the creation of man who receives the charge. You are going to rule this planet. You're going to multiply. You're going to fill the earth. You are my image on the earth. And as soon as the sun set that initiated the Sabbath, God rested because he had his partner that was created to do something. And God himself said, I will make it holy. See, You are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What this ought to bring to mind for you is that from the moment that God spoke light into the darkness at the beginning of the creation, he was aiming at your creation for his purpose. Here you shouldn't read this as Adam. Adam used in this sense is really mankind. He had a purpose for all of mankind. Day one, he was still leading up to it. Day two, leading up to it. Three, four, five. And on six, we have reached the object of his affection and aim. And so day seven, he could rest while man began to do what God put him here to do. Oh, saints, you should experience this glorious rest. Of knowing that you are fulfilling the purpose for which God created you. Right now, celebrities are killing themselves at a rate of two a week. It's the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. Period. When people are robbed of purpose, when they're castrated from their call, then there's nothing for them to do. We're laughing at the gildings for not being able to be fruitful. But nobody has shown us how to be fruitful. What we were called to do. You were created for a purpose. He has created you in Christ to show the holiness of his kingdom. His kingdom is displayed in the deeds of your life. 
He rested from his creating when he created you to do, to make, to carry out your purpose. Better than that, he declared the end from the beginning when he made the day holy. Every week you have a reminder. The end result of your partnership with God is holiness for you and holiness for the world around you. Isn't that good news? You know where it's going, Elder Charlie? It's going to holiness. You know where it's going for those that watch your life? It's going to holiness. You have a purpose. If immediately entering into Genesis, God establishes this weekly cycle. And in it there is a Sabbath. And there is a day in which he created us to do something. Do you think that it's important, church? So what ought your Sabbath look like? If he created you to do something. Church, do you believe you were created to do something? Yes. You were created with a purpose. Yes. So on a weekly basis, we have more than just a reminder. You have a time frame where you're supposed to be thinking about your calling, your vision, what he has called you to do. So that when you stand back up, it is filled with God breathed, purposeful action. See, sometimes we get this misconception that the idea of a Sabbath is to withdraw from the world and do nothing. What a Sabbath was, was a daily recharging of the spirit that says, this is what I am made for and I'm going to go after it. And at least one day in seven, I'm going to sit and contemplate how I can better perform the calling, the function, the purpose he created me for. Because he is a good God and he is worth me giving him my all. Let me interrupt my son. I just had a funny daydream, right? I worked for six days to put them into the position to take over my work, right? I worked for six days to do that. And on the day of their commissioning, when I say I'm going to make it holy, they think the best way to honor that is a Netflix binge. (laughs) See, when we treat the Sabbath like that, we're forgetting something. We're supposed to rest from our pursuits and take on God's pursuits. And when you come into Christ, every day is supposed to be God's pursuit. So that Hebrews 4 says we're walking in that Sabbath rest. In the same way that you're created for a purpose, his revelation comes to us for a purpose. Let's go to Deuteronomy 29, 29. Say there when you're there. There. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. See, yes, Jesus is your personal Savior, but it's a lot more than that. We're a kingdom. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Amen. That we may follow all the words of this law. You see, in the heart of the law, the astounding statement is made that what is revealed was to belong to you and your children Forever. The passage does not end here. That we may follow. God created you to follow. He called you and your children to follow. And he called for you and your grandchildren to follow. This is an ongoing revelation that is ongoing through the generations. And it is going to keep increasing and growing in a real world application to where we are affecting the kingdom of God. Onto an earth that is in rebellion and needs to be subdued. Come on now, are y'all excited about something that's ongoing? 
You know, it didn't just happen and then it stopped. It's continuing. We're going to talk about that in the prophets. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. The Lord continued to appear. Somebody say continued to appear. Continued to appear. It's ongoing at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Somebody say through his word. The beauty of this in my life could never be overstated. The Lord didn't reveal himself to me just once. It was an ongoing, continual appearance. Like in verse 21, he continued to appear. The more I look into his word, the more he reveals himself to me as my savior, my purpose giver, and my king. I was created to show his holiness to the world around me. Samuel was created to show his holiness to the world around him. You were created to show the holiness of God to the world around you. He gives you His revelation for a purpose. That purpose is to affect the world around you with a growing, ongoing, continual revelation of Him. Are you following this theme? You were created for a purpose, but He continues to appear to you. He continues to reveal Himself to you and does it through His Word for that same purpose. See, He didn't just cause you to come into being and then walk away. He is continuing to reveal himself to you so that you can meet that purpose, so that you better understand it in every year of your life. You're not supposed to go on living without knowing why you are living. Oh man, you should think through that for a minute. Life is not about the acquiring of what one has. It's not about what one does for a living. I mean, you can build bigger barns if you want to, but in a single day, you can lose it all. We were here for a purpose. And every bit of study, every bit of revelation into God's Word is to drive you further into that purpose, to help you accomplish that purpose. You're supposed to transform your own life and then the world around you. And the truth is, they go on together in a process. Let's go to Habakkuk together. I woke up this morning with the word Spencer on my mind. Now, if you don't know him, that's that handsome guy sitting back there in a salmon-colored shirt. If you are a 300-pound mastodon, you can wear a salmon-colored shirt to church, and you won't be the least bit insecure. And while I heard the word Spencer when I woke up, I saw John Dang's face. Okay? And I'm going to go somewhere with that. I want you to hear this. For the revelation, this is Habakkuk 2.3, awaits an appointed time. You'll say that out loud with me. An appointed time. time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Nothing could be harder than waiting for the appointed time. Maybe you feel like it will never come. Spence, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I have. The things that God told you would never actually come about or to be so far away, you need to think about something else today. Dave, have you ever felt that way? When I think of Spencer or John or Curtis or JJ or David, I want to encourage you that day is fast upon us. It will certainly come. Curtis, you were born to be a teacher of God's Word. 
You're getting the devil in that now, but there's a day it's going to consume your life. Spencer, the first word that I ever gave you is you are a pastor. It was the last word your last pastor gave you. Do you know why? Because God created you for a purpose. His revelation is being given to you more and more because he's breathing life into that purpose. And that day will come. David, the very first words of building community are still true in your life. It may feel like we are so far from achieving what God has called us to do, but it will come. When I met John Dang, there were so many things in his life that were like too much, too fast. Like God gave him that amazing, beautiful wife of his. Too much, too fast. I'm joking. He gave him a, a, a big house and all kind of things that John didn't yet know how to manage. And he has an extraordinary calling on his life. But am I the only one that, given an extraordinary calling, you don't know what to do with it or how to manage it? So God has put him in a school, the school of life, where he's learning through work and discipline, learning through raising a family, what it is to manage the high call of God that is on his life. But the fact that he's having children and that he's being awarded all kind of things at work for his diligent work, these are not contrary to the call of God. They're building the necessary character to handle the work of God. Amen. If you're in this church, you have a purpose. God is revealing himself because he wants you to complete your purpose. There's been a lot of talk lately about who is discipled where and how. I want you to understand something. Those of you that went to the Browns home meeting or continue to go there, you're being discipled in the exact same manner that I was discipled. Charlie Brown was there the day that I got spirit-filled. I learned sitting in his living room. Some of you are learning in Baja's shop on lunch breaks at work. Some of you at my house at night. Some of you at Matthew's house in a garage. The important thing is that every bit of revelation that he is giving you is going somewhere. Amen. We are not learning for entertainment. We are not learning just for self-enlightenment. We are learning so that we are transformed and we transform the world around us. It will come. It will not delay. The three Stevens men are standing here today one year after extraordinary tribulation. And we know that more awaits us. But the fact remains we were created for a purpose. Amen. Yeah. Jesus is revealing himself to us in an ever increasing way Amen. for a purpose. His revelation is for a purpose. And we are going to affect the world around us. You, you are going to affect the world around Amen. you. Because we're not going to quit. Let's take a look at this exact same concept in the writings. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Hold on to think about this for a minute. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. You're telling me that in a kingdom, that in a group of people, that in your life, that in my life, we, where we do not have the revelation of God, restraint gets cast off. Rebellion starts to occur. We start to get a little disillusioned. See, what happens when we get unsatisfied with the calling that he's called us to press into, when we get unsatisfied with daily faithfulness, is because we are missing the revelation of God that is supposed to be ongoing through our lives, constantly pouring through us, teaching us how to conform to that one vision that he gave us. See, in this room, if you're struggling with discontentment, 
If you're concerned that you will not fulfill the calling that Habakkuk spoke about, see, what we need to do is get a hold of his revelation. He created us for a purpose and his revelation will teach us how to do it. It will show us how to affect the world with it. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. This really gets to the point. If you're not living in increasing revelation, you lose your purpose. The result is that you live carnal lives defined by a lack of restraint. But consider the alternative. If you keep seeking his ongoing revelation, his empowerment from on high, his power to live self-controlled lives, you will be blessed as one who keeps his commands and the world will see his holiness through you. Is that what you want, saints? We are not fearful, faithless, and fallen, but we are faithful, filled, and ferocious advocates of the kingdom that do not back up, shut up, or let up until all know the greatness of our God. We receive revelation for a purpose, and it makes us powerful, and we're not going to let go of it for anything. Come on, guys. I can't let go of that. We are LCM, the eternal order of the DCD. There is no mountain too high. There is no river too wide. When the Lord tells us to cross it, it's where we go. The revelation in our life empowers you to see what you need to do inwardly to get right with God and how you're supposed to interact with the rest of the world. It doesn't matter what is standing in front of you. We see this in the New Testament in Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. He got a revelation of what God's power does. It was a continual revelation, and he immediately pointed to the fact that he's a sinful man. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will be fishers of men. Looking at this passage and Peter's reaction is so instructive. All revelation should be aimed at you becoming holy. Amen. Notice that Peter had a growing revelation of Jesus and that the result was he saw his own behavior for what it is. Sinful. Jesus never leaves you there, though. That's not where the story ends. Amen. In fact, the revelation led to his transformation. And not just Peter's transformation, but Peter transforming the world around him. Peter received revelation for a purpose to affect the world around him. It wasn't just Peter. The two brothers are in there. We have the gospel because these men received an ongoing revelation, and it didn't matter what was in front of them. They had the revelation. They were going for it. Say it with me, church. Revelation leads to transformation. Revelation leads to transformation. Your transformation and the world being transformed around you. Amen. Come on, that's a good word. You know, I can't help it as I look around. Most of my life, I preached without any notes on a cocktail napkin at best. And the Lord would speak to me about the people that I was preaching to, and that was encouraging. And uh, I got my eye on a brother in our back left corner. Is your name Joseph? <laughs> yeah. So in moments where you have a revelation and you're disappointed in your own life, Remember something. Peter took the revelation of how great Jesus was and it made him look and go, I'm sinful. But then he went on to become what Jesus is, a fisher of men. And the Lord's going to do that in your life. Anybody's got a handsome beard like that has got some potential. (laughs) And if it's not quite where you want it to be yet, my word about your beard is the same as your life. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. There's some hope for you 
bald face beauties out there too, Rick Lawhon. Look, my, my point here is that Revelation does something. It reminds the creation. It reminds the man who was created with a purpose that there is still a purpose and there's work to be done to get there. Yeah. But that revelation shouldn't discourage you. The closer you get to the light, you know what you're going to see? How nasty and yucky some areas of your life are that you didn't want to look at before or didn't even know were there. That needs to compel you towards transformation, not hiding. If you want to succeed in the kingdom, you do it by acknowledging the purpose of your creation and learning and studying for the purpose of transformation, not just personal enlightenment. Let's pick up in Matthew 14. Say there when you were there. I got so excited I forgot that that's what we do in this church. There when you were there. Matthew 14. Can y'all forgive me for being a little excited to preach with both my sons? We literally have fought through hell to get here. But there's a testimony in that. Amen. Whatever you're fighting through, what will life look like in a year? I mean, can I tell you? The devil strapped a beating on me once or twice. Don't you feel bad for me, though? Because you haven't seen him yet. <laughs> a year later, I've never been suffering from the effects of whatever he did, though. Our struggles are light and momentary. Amen. They're not worth comparing with the glory that's being revealed. Amen. Matthew 14, verse 28. Lord, if it's you... Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. The revelation of God will always bid you out of the boat and into deeper waters. Amen. If it's you, Lord, speak to me, come, and he will tell you, come. But now that revelation demands a response. You got to get out of the boat. Conscientious cowards may sit on the side and calculate your courageous faith. But like Peter, I would rather depend on the right hand of my God to pull me up rather than the pitiful pusillanimous paupers that give in to popular safe trends and never dare to risk a thing. You know, you sit back, you may never make a mistake, but you won't make anything else either. I'd a whole lot rather jump out of the boat in response to a revelation you were made for a purpose. He's revealing himself to you for a purpose. You might have to get out of your boat. You should consider a man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his work, The Cost of Discipleship, he said the following. Levi must leave the receipt of customs and Peter his nets in order to follow Jesus. One would have thought that nothing so drastic was necessary at such an early stage. Could not Jesus have initiated the publican into some new religious experience and leave them as they were before? He could have done so had he not been the incarnate son of God. But since he is the Christ, he must make it clear from the start that his word is not an abstract doctrine, but the recreation of the whole life of a man. The only right and proper way is quite literally to go with Jesus. Amen. The call to follow implies that there is only one way of believing on Jesus Christ. In this, 
is by leaving all and going with the incarnate Son of God. See, a revelation leads to a transformation. Revelation is for a purpose, and it's that you would affect the world around you. Come on, let's talk about that in Revelation. Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 14. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with Him will be His called, His chosen, and His faithful followers. Called for what? What are they called for? They were created or literally called out of the earth for a purpose. Amen. Chosen for what? They were chosen to receive His revelation for a purpose. Faithful to what? Faithful to be transformed by revelation and affect the world around them. With all of my heart, I want to be faithful to the purpose. I was called and chosen for... I was called and chosen for. Do you... I know do that you, you, do you church? Yeah. Do you want do to be faithful to it, Lord? Do you, do you want, want to be, be chosen? chosen? Yes. Do you want to be faithful? Yes. Do you want to overcome all the power of hell? Yes. You're supposed to have hell on its heels. <clears throat> the the church of Jesus Christ is something that prevails against the gates of hell. Yeah. The gates of hell are a defensive structure. It's us who are kicking them down. Do you want to be called and faithful and chosen? Yes. He will help us, and we are going to do it together. We're going to do it as one body, one man, under one head, and that head is Jesus Christ. Let's look at the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Romans. Turn to chapter 16. Say there when you're there. There. That's cheating. But now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaimed about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. Did you catch that? The gospel that was proclaimed was a revelation, a mystery that had been hidden, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Amen. Saints, I grew up in a house that loves Israel. My name is Judah. I mean, come on. (laughs) Another man loved Israel very much so. His name was the Apostle Paul. Can you hear the beauty of this revelation, this mystery? Everyone knew that Israel was created for a purpose. Everyone knew that they received revelation for a purpose. But it was a mystery that you, that I, that we were created for a purpose as well and that we could join their destiny. Amen. See, we are grafted into something that from the beginning has known what it was made for. That has known what the revelation of God will be about the coming of the Messiah. And now, with Israel, we have the opportunity to join under one head, one body, that being Jesus Christ, and that will come to the Jewish people. Amen. And we are going to see this kingdom, this earth, put under our Jewish king's feet yes. as we serve him faithfully and he makes us holy. Amen. He says it so clearly here. Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. The revelation that you receive is an ongoing manner. It is to transform you in an ongoing manner. Because you were created for a purpose, to affect the world around you by showing the holiness of our God and His kingdom to every nation on earth. Say every nation. Every nation. 
the way we do that is by serving our Jewish king. And by knowing what we are called to do. And acting, working, and moving in the revelation that he gives us. You were created for a purpose. You receive revelation for a purpose. You are being redeemed for a purpose. Our message today is creation, revelation, and redemption. We've covered created for a purpose. We've covered revelation for a purpose. Now we want to move towards redemption for a purpose. Are you with us? Yes. We're going to start in Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. Say there when you were there. Hey, just in case you're starting to get sleepy, it's 12 o'clock or 12.05. I, I promise you, what we're about to read, it's beautiful. Listen to the words carefully. He's going to read through it. This is an astounding statement coming out of the Psalms, and it is the character and heart of our God for us and for his people. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. What kind of redemption? He himself will redeem Israel. Say, he himself. himself. God himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. Isn't this verse beautiful? Israel put their hope in the unfailing love of the Lord, not in their unfailing performance. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. (laughs) Can you relate to that? Yes. After the Lord saved Israel at Passover, they still had to rely on His unfailing love. They had to be redeemed after Passover. They were redeemed, but waiting for what the verse calls full redemption. The Lord is going to redeem Israel from all their sins, even as He is saving each one of us from our sins. Redemption is for a purpose. It is the only way that you and I can show His holiness to the rest of the world. Without it, we cannot display Him. Is there anybody that would raise a glass to full redemption? Is there anybody that is excited that your spirit has been set right with God, but you understand very much there is a war going on in your soul and in your flesh? On the day that your bodies are redeemed, that war will have dissipated. It will have gone away. Victory will be total. It will be the full redemption of the sons of God. Israel was redeemed, but needed full redemption. God hasn't given up on them and He will not give up on you if you are less than perfect now. Oh, I don't think you understood that. If He did give up on them, then you have every reason to be terrified right now. In fact, maybe you should go be a Muslim. That's what they believe. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. This is the monotheistic call of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. I love the 1984 NIV. I've been carrying it around for my whole Christian walk. And this is another place in which something feels missing. And it was Elder Bosch that first instructed me about this. We were sitting at a coffee table in Romania, and he reads from the New American Standard, which is also an excellent translation. And I want you to hear the difference here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. Do you hear the difference between those? One says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The other is stated like a promise. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. What if God is telling you, congregation, what if he was telling Israel before he told you like an older brother? What if he is saying, I am one. There is no division in me. I don't have two opinions about anything. I have one clear purpose. And I will bring you into that same kind of unity. Amen. What if that's what Jesus is praying in John 17 right before the cross? Father, that they might be one even as we are one. What if this is a promise? Just like the Sabbath being made holy, what if he's saying, I will cause you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? Amen. See, that's a good word. He is yes. able. Where we fail, he is able. That was true first for Israel and is true also for us. Amen. After the Lord created Israel at Passover, he brought them to Sinai during Pentecost or Shavuot. There, having been created for a purpose, he began to give them revelation for a purpose. That purpose was always their being transformed in order to transform the world around them. Yeah. The redemption began at Passover, and it continued on through Shavuot, but it would not be complete until the Day of Atonement. It's easy to miss something here. The fact is that Pesach was not the beginning and the end of their redemption. Let that sink in for a minute. Covered in the blood of the Lamb, escaping Egypt, but they had not reached full redemption yet. It was not the beginning and the end. It was just a beginning. Likewise, Christian, being born again is not the beginning and the end of your redemption. It's only a beginning. Your full redemption still waits. It's you've been created in Christ for a purpose and you haven't completed that yet. The moment that you were born again, that's not the end of your redemption. It's the beginning of your redemption. It will end with your body glorified standing on the earth. What makes this verse so beautiful is that if you take it as a promise, this verse is immediately after they have received the revelation of Sinai. It's immediately after they just saw God's presence descend on the mountain. And the statement becomes, this is my character. I am one. It's God speaking. I am one. And I am promising that you will be transformed in the same way. That's good news, isn't it? Yes. Amen. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. In the name of Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Say it with me again. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Your redemption was for a purpose. In your transformation, you began to affect the world around you. You will show the greatness of the kingdom yes. of Are you with us, saints? Yes. Are you with us? Yes. Let's take a look at this in the Old Testament prophets and let's see how this plays out. Let's go to Joshua 5, verse 9. 
You won't want to miss this. Don't let anything distract you. We're used to doing more than one thing at one time. We can preach to those who are being edified, and we can liberate those that have been tortured but are now being freed. We can preach and watch God's dominion over the enemy in the very same moment. We've done it on four continents. We can certainly do it in our church. Joshua 5, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt for you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, the very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Just reading with serious thought, it would be easy to miss. The original Passover was 40 years ago. He says, today I rolled away your reproach. Today is the day of salvation. You can be born again today if you need to be. But the Israelites got to experience the blood of the Lamb, and they still had to fight through something for 40 years. What we're saying is that this is an ongoing redemption. That there is a moment that is a marker where you're truly a new creation. And we are going to continually subject our bodies, our flesh, into the will of God. That just like the Israelites had their reproach rolled away, that that death sentence might be lifted from you in an instant. You have an obligation to go to war with sin. A prayer at one moment when you're nine years old does not mean that you're born again. Having a prayer in a moment that results in a life that is a pursuit of Christ, that is forsaking all else, and is like we were speaking about earlier, leaving your, your nets, leaving your pulpit, leaving everything you have to follow the Christ that just came by you. This was a long process of sanctification to roll away the reproach of Egypt. They had been receiving revelation. They had been literally killing off the old man. Men were dropping dead who had experienced the baptism but were not living faithfully. And yet, others in that same number who were disadvantaged in every regard wanted to see the promised land. And they were supernaturally strengthened from heaven. Come on, can I tell you that no no matter what desert you're in, no matter how many people are dropping like flies on your left and right, if you want to reach the promised land, He will strengthen you from heaven today. As we keep going here, they're killing off the old man, dying every day to the world and revisiting the saving grace of the cross typified by the Passover. But eventually... Despite sin along the way, Israel came to the promised land. And so will you if you keep pressing forward. You are being redeemed for a purpose. In your transformation, you will learn to transform the world around you for the glory of God. Come on. Come on. Let's talk about transforming the world around you in Matthew chapter 10, verses 8 through 5. Let me know when y'all are there. You're going to find this particularly pertinent to what's happening in the room even now. So you want to be in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5. If you want to know if we're a New Testament church, we're an Old and New Testament church. We say 66 books are better than 27. If you want to know whether or not the power of God is among us, watch what happens as the power of God descends in the room. It ought to be crystal clear to you. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. 
Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. As you go every day, every church service, every work, a day you're at work, when you walk into the grocery store, this is what we're supposed to be thinking about. This is what the redeemed life of a Christian looks like. You are walking in the power to see the dead raised, to see demons cast out. In the sending out of the twelve, notice what they were, what they were told to do. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Redemption starts somewhere. On a global level, salvation begins and ends in Israel. One, on a more personal level, you have been redeemed and walking in the purpose of your redemption is truly to affect the world around you. We're going to pause on that for a second. Salvation had to start somewhere. So he directed them to get their own house in order before they went out to the whole world. Everybody dreams of changing the world. Very few have the wisdom to start with themselves. Israel had to experience the revival of the gospel. There had to be a remnant that came in before they could go and address the rest of the world. You must be transformed before you attempt to transform the world. Otherwise, you are a lost and carnal person preaching to lost and carnal people. You'll both fall into a ditch. But when the power of God descends in the room and the kingdom is present... People get liberated. Amen. The gospel of Mark in every chapter has demons come out with shrieks. As you transform, you begin to affect the world around you. Come on, let's talk about that. As you are transformed, look at how it affects the world. The kingdom is near. You introduce people to the rule of God as demonstrated in your life. This should remind you of Adam. We're putting the kibosh on it. We are demonstrating God's rule in the whole earth. Church services and grocery stores. God's rule is there. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. You subdue the enemies of God. We're on a war path. It's what we're doing. It's our redeemed life. It's the transformation. Freely you have been given your purpose. Freely you restore the purpose of others. There is an entire generation walking around completely purposeless. It's on the news. We name them millennials, the Y generation, Generation Z like myself. And... It's all ridiculousness because we are walking around purposelessness and sin. Without revelation, we're casting off restraint. You are being redeemed for a purpose. Transformation and the transforming of the world around you in the kingdom of God. Amen. Speaking of that kingdom of God, let's read Revelation 11.15. Throw it on the screen. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. See, saints, our God is dominant. Our God is victorious. It is just a matter of time. His rule and His dominion is coming on this earth. And it's coming one life, one family, one nation at a time. But we are bringing it. In the New Testament prophetic book, we see God's ultimate aim and purpose. The kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of God. In order to accomplish this, God created mankind to make, to do, to achieve a purpose. You were created to show His holiness and affect the world around you. His revelation is to transform you so that you can transform the world around you. His redemption is so that you become holy and transform the world around you into His holy kingdom here on earth. We're at a place where we're about to go back into worship. 
And if we're already seeing this kind of movement in the spiritual realm, then you have lots more freedom to look forward to. I wanted to tell you, though, creation, revelation, and redemption, they're not just the three major themes of the Tanakh. They form the entire structure of Jesus' life. You may not recognize that because we think of Jesus as a Christian rather than a Jew, and we do so erroneously. (laughs) But three times a year, anywhere Jesus was in the entire world, he had to come to Jerusalem because it's required of all law-observant Jews. And Jesus kept the law perfectly to the hilt. This means that for Passover, he came to Jerusalem. Every Passover of his life, how many ever years that was, Passover has a creation theme. And it has a creation theme because it's the day that God created the holy nation of Israel by drawing them out of their slavery in Egypt. They passed through the water of the womb, the Red Sea, and they became his sons that day. He said, out of Egypt, I have called my son. When they arrived at the mountain, Shavuot, this is the second regalia feast, It's the second time that every Jew in the world had to go to Israel. They saw God descend upon the mountain and give revelation. So Shavuot always has to do in the Jewish mind with revelation and empowerment. This is the place where the nation learned how they were to live and could ask God to empower them to do so. Having been created for a purpose, his revelation ought to cause you To cry out for empowerment to fulfill your purpose. Do you want that empowerment? Yes. One more time in the year, their full redemption would be celebrated. Every single Israelite, the um, feast of Yom Kippur would occur and every single Israelite was saved that day. Everyone was right with God that day. In a single day, all Israel was saved. Do you know what they did the very next day? They made sacrifices for every nation in the world so that having been transformed themselves, the rest of the world would come in literally to the tent that they were living in. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. God started this, this purpose, this aim, all the way back on the sixth day of creation when he created mankind. He just gave his special revelation to the Jewish people. I want to close with you in Romans 11. In Romans 11, beginning in verse 15. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? I want you to know that our older brother may have stumbled. Have you not stumbled in your purpose? Have you not stumbled in your calling? But their stumbling is temporary. And if their stumbling meant that you get a shot at life, what do you think it's going to be like when they fulfill their purpose? Paul says it will be like life from the dead. Isn't that what Isaiah 26 said as well? The earth will give birth to the dead. They were complaining about having stagnated in their purpose. And the answer was resurrection life. That same resurrection life was available for you here today. Skim down to 1125. 
I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not become conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. Somebody say in part. In part. Until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. They have not experienced a hardening as a whole. They've experienced a hardening in part. It's not permanent. It's until. You know why that's good news for you? Because if you've experienced a stumbling, if your heart has gotten hard, if right now has not been the best time in your life, it can change this moment. God does not throw away that which he has purchased. He didn't do it to them. He will not do it to you. He created you for a purpose. He's revealing himself to you for a purpose. He will bring you to full redemption for a purpose. He goes on to say the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That is such good news today. He can take away your sins. If he will do it for them, then the hope is he will do it for you. But if you steal this promise from them, then what hope would there be for you? Romans 11.32 is our actual last passage. Paul, after teaching on this subject, gets so excited that he literally breaks in the song with a letter. That's awkward. You know, there was a time my wife asked me to go to a movie, and in the opening scene, you know, a guy walks in, and he's kind of musing in his thoughts, and then he bursts into song. And I said, I thought this was a movie. This is a musical. There's an incredible difference, and you should have told me about that before I came in here. Paul is writing a letter, and he breaks into a musical. You know why? His soul was rejoicing at the thought. He was so excited thinking about the purpose of God that he, he reaches a, a crescendo in his letter. He says, for God has bound all men over to disobedience that he might have mercy on them all. Do you hear that, church? He wants to have mercy on you. You deserve judgment, but he desires mercy. Oh, the depth, the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has ever known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to him that God should repay him? Listen to this phrase. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Why from him? Because you were created from him. Why through him? Because your revelation comes through him. Why to him are all things? Because you are redeemed to him and his purposes for your life. So as Peyton makes his way up here, we have a question for you. Have you drifted from the purpose that you were created for? Do you need to return to that today? Have you become stalled in your transformation? Has your revelation become stale? Has it become something that's cloudy? A vision that you received a long time ago, but you don't have that same kind of fire or belief in it. It can be rekindled today. It can be rekindled in this moment and He can begin to transform you again. But it requires that we re-engage now. 
Have you stained your redemption and shipwrecked your purpose today? This morning, you can become a new creation. You can receive your purpose. You don't have to live under the tyranny of darkness anymore. His chain-breaking power is already loose in the room. Do you need empowerment? Do you need a fresh revelation? Do you need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost? See, what we were created for, the revelation that we have, the redemption that we have, it's going to require that we have all that Christ has to offer, the fullness in Him. So what we're saying to you as our friends and family right now is that if you're realizing there's a lack in your life in any area, whether it's a step in the right direction, it's a repentance moment, it's a crying out for a greater filling of Him, now is the time to ask for it. It's the time to get it. It's time to go after it. We cannot let fear grip our spines. We cannot be men who know what we are called to but shrink back. Now is the time to be filled with the fullness of our Father that will cause us to overcome the evil one. It's something stirring inside of your soul right now. This morning, you can press into the completion of your redemption, washing away your shame. Do you need to rededicate your life? Do you need the presence that was once on you to come on you again and set you free? Have you muddied what the Lord gave you in the first place and now feel like a dirty dog? What the Lord is promising, like He says in Isaiah 61.7, is a double portion. He's not saying that you can repent and be a dog in the house of God. He's saying you can become a son with a double portion. That the part of your calling, of your purpose that you think you threw away, repentance and redemption can bring it back and it was just the beginning. That is what the Lord is offering. Do you need that today? Do you feel like you've gone too far and it can't come back? The Lord is calling to you today. In just a moment, you have a choice to make. There's going to be a second where everybody stands to their feet. That's how we end our services here. We're not the kind of church that says, bow your head, assume a crash position, put it between your knees, and raise a pinky or text in a decision for Christ. I don't believe in that. I never have. If you can't stand for God in this room, there's no hope you'll stand for God outside of this room. But here's the thing. His Spirit is present to make us stand, to help us stand. So we're asking that you would do something. If there are moments during this message that you had butterflies, where you knew that God is dealing with you, know something for sure. He's under no obligation to ever deal with you again. But He's dealing with you because He loves you. He's not trying to kill you. He wants to show you mercy. He wants to help you. He wants to empower you. There's only one person in the room that can be obedient to what God has told you to do, and that's you. Don't brace for an altar call. Don't try to resist what God is doing and just go about your day. It might be your last day. You were created by God with a special design, a unique purpose that nobody else has. Yours is for you. His revelation to you is to empower you 
to be able to do that. He didn't just give it to you. He is actually going to reach into you like a glove and help you do it if you'll be clothed with His power. He didn't just save you to avoid hell. He saved you so that the rest of the world would come into full redemption. Wherever you are in this spectrum, don't look around. Don't wait to see what happens in some corner of the room. Don't wait to see what the timid girl standing next to you does when she shows more bravery than you and goes first. Run to the very mercy seat of God. Cry out to Him. Raise your hearts, your hands, and your face towards Him and say, Help me, Father. And in unison, the entire room, do you know what will happen? He will meet us on earth in the same place He created us. He will take that which is earthly and He will breathe into you and you will become a partner with God. A heavenly agent that He Himself says, He will make holy. So the moment that we stand to our feet, you do what you must. Don't do what you think. Do what you must. Stand to your feet.